Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm good, because I get to talk to my bestest buddy here for about 45 minutes, so that's good. Wee! Yay! Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's going to be an interesting afternoon here. I'm going to go see... A legacy recording act as a friend of mine plays drums for him now. And that should be fun. Cool. Yeah. Is that what we what we talk about at NAM? Is it that show? The Rick Springfield show? Yeah. 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 That's All right. tonight. Well, there you go. Well, I didn't know if you wanted to. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I have something I want to touch on. I want to do this uh, is a talk, a talk back, back thing. All right. Yeah. Do it. Let's see what you think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logic and Final Cut Pro coming to the iPad. Saw that. Thoughts? Interesting. Yep. Not earth shattering to me. It doesn't necessarily fit my current workflow. So I'm not the type of target audience for this, I w- would postulate. I don't yeah. know about you, but for me, I don't think I'm the target audience. No, I, I'm in the same camp. I think it's very, very interesting, but it's one of workflow, right? Uh-huh. If you're on the go all the time and depending on what it is that you do, if you like to record on the go and you edit video on the go, or let's say that if you're on location shooting something, you might be able to do that without bringing a huge rig, but instead have your iPad. Does a so laptop really qualify as a huge rig? Probably not, but you know what I'm saying? Like, but if you're going, let's say that you're traveling or something and you're not necessarily intended to do any kind of work or whatever, you have that option out that I think the idea of being able to run it on an iPad, I think is pretty cool. Probably says more about the processing power of the iPads these days. To right, an extent, they, it's hard to know right. until you actually see it. It's just been announced. Yeah. Some people are really excited. Some of them are kind of boo, subscription model. And I think you and I are probably somewhere in the middle, like, <laughs> as they say in, in the uh, middle. Yep. Yeah, as they say in uh, Spinal Tap, right? Fire and ice, and we're somewhere in the middle, like lukewarm water. Right? <laughs> so it's kind of cool anyway, I think. You know, I know. Yeah, what, I, I, like I said, it's interesting for whatever target audience that they're targeting. Obviously, it's a cool concept. To me, it's not where my head goes when I'm creating, mixing, recording, etc. It's just not where my head goes. Yeah. And I well, think I, part of that has to do with my workflow, as you mentioned, yours. Power is the name of my game. And I have lots of processing power outside the actual computer itself to deal with the extravagant nature of what I do with a mix. You mean with the, with the Apollos? Yeah. yeah, and all that processing. Thus, it well, doesn't really strike me as something that I need. Yeah. I'm, and I've already said it, so I've that's said that, enough. I, I've said that about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just in the position where I'm, I find myself sitting in front of a screen most days, yeah, most of the time. So I'm probably, again, not the target audience, but I think it it's really, really cool for people that are on the go and or even as almost like a gateway drug into Logic or Final Cut, right? For people that already have an iPad, but they sure perhaps they don't have a laptop or a desktop even. I could see it useful for co-writers. Sure. You go to somebody's house that doesn't have a great recording setup. You have some sort of interface that will allow you to get your inputs into it. That might work as a writing tool. 
that's as mm. far as I see it. Yeah. Well, maybe. Moment. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it would be interesting to see if how many um, plug-in manufacturers will go on board with that uh, What format. difference would it make? It's still an AU, isn't it? Is it? I don't think so. I believe I don't it think is. it's the same for the mobile market because they have them for for the iPhone as well. But I think it's a different plug-in format to run on that. I could be wrong, but I think that's what it is. I think it would be a giant mistake for them to change the plug-in format in Logic Pro. No, no, no. I'm not saying that they're changing it in Logic Pro. I'm saying for it to run on the iPad. But maybe I'm misinformed about that. Maybe it's just going to run AUs. AU. Yeah, that would make the most sense. I don't know. It's those crafty engineers on Apple. Right? <laughs> now, of course, <laughs> right. if you're not a Logic or a Final Cut user, you probably could care less. So yeah, I guess exactly. we'll move on to today's topic, which comes from a listener request. Our listener, Derek, had a question about when he should upgrade his interface yes, in sir. the studio. We're going to give some pointers that can be of help or assistance or somebody that's just in the same boat. Because I just had a discussion with somebody the other week. A co-writer and colleague asked me, I want to upgrade my interface. And then my first question is, well, what do you have right now? It turns out that it was an Apollo. <gasps> so then my next question is, well, why do you want to upgrade? So, <laughs> so there's a lot of questions I think people get into their head that I, I just want to update. What would the, be like the first thing that you would ask somebody if they're, they're posing the question, what, what should I get? I want to step back for a second. What was his yeah. answer when you when you said Apollo? This person told me that they had an Apollo interface. Right. My statement that, well, why do you want to upgrade? Yeah. What, what is it that you're hoping to get? Mm -hmm. And it sort of put them at ease a little bit and went like, okay, well, maybe I don't have to. Because I think it's a psychological thing that there's always something better around the corner, which a lot of times there is, but the difference might not be as big as we imagine that it would be. Truth. Yeah. Yeah. So I throw it right back at you. What's the first question that you tend to think about when somebody talks about upgrading their interface? The question is, what are they currently using and what do they hope to achieve? Mm -hmm. Those would be the two questions. Yeah. If so the first thing for me is always like, well, how old is your interface? Because today, so many interfaces are, even on the budget level, I would say are, they're quite good. You know, as far as like converters and things where 20 years ago, that was probably not the case, right? Truth. So when I had, for example, my Delta 1010. I had one of those too. We all had one at one <laughs> point, right? Um, and that was, I felt that it was great. It certainly did the job that I needed it to do and more. Yeah. But comparatively- it looked really cool. It was like a full rack unit and had all the ins and outs. And I think it was made of metal. It was, like it was silver colored, just like the G4 computers of the day. Or even, mm -hmm. no, G5s, G4s, G5s. It came around the G4, G5 era. So the G4 was silver in color, but plastic. And then the G5 came out and it was made of metal. And the 1010 yeah. was made of metal. And this was a PCIe card, or just a PCI card at that point. It wasn't even PCIe, but it was a PCI card. Yeah. That had to go into the computer. What I was going to get to is even a budget interface today probably has better converters than that had. And it wasn't like super expensive, but it was still six or $700 unit type of thing. I don't and recall. It packed, yeah, it packed a 
decent punch. But the bottom line is like today, I think interfaces are so good. Now, with the age of interfaces, what we can run into though is I just mentioned the PCI cards. Mm -hmm. Well, you need extra housing for that today, right? So if you're updating your machine. Depending on the computer. That's sure. not always true. But depending no, on a, the computer, because if you're thinking Mac, which is probably what's running through your head, yes, <laughs> yes, you will actually need housing to do that. A lot of PCs are still housed in a typical tower that have PCI slots. So that's a whole different ballgame right there. That's a very valid point. Yes, I'm very snowed into the Mac universe here. So I apologize for everybody <laughs> no that, that doesn't pertain to. And thinking Apple about that, and you're talking about the connection yeah. and connectability. Sure. What was your reason for getting away from the Delta 1010 and what did you go to? It blew up. <laughs> Yours blew up? It was, yeah. Oh, wow. It, it, it was an issue. I don't remember exactly, but I think it was a power surge or something. Ouch. And it just went tits up. Couldn't wow. use it anymore. Bummer. Right? What did I get after that? I'm not sure, but I think it might have been the first duet that I got. Okay. It might have been something in between. I don't recall, but I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I got on that train. Then also with those, the first generation of the Duet was FireWire yep. connectivity, right? Mm-hmm. Good luck finding FireWire ports today. Right? So, <laughs> right. That was something... the reasoning behind me going from a Delta 1010 to another interface. It wasn't that yeah. mine blew up. It's that the right. computer that I moved to changed and I required a FireWire interface. And I switched off of the Delta 1010 to the Mo2 Mark III, I believe it was. And I had that for a very long time. Yeah, I remember that in your studio in Reseda. You mm-hmm. had that, right? Yeah. That's something to keep in mind. That would be my first reason to upgrade where, let's say you're updating your machine and it simply won't transfer anymore. Like yep. if you don't have FireWire port, which, again, on the Mac, they're brutal with that. They just get rid of stuff. Like, nope, <laughs> not doing this anymore. Believe me, I so, know. I lost a machine based on a power surge as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what's crazy is it was protected through a battery backup and surge protection system, and it still went down. The new machine yeah. that I ended up getting to replace it didn't have a connection that the Motu could use, so I had to get rid of the Motu and get something that could actually work, and that's when I switched to Apollo. Yeah, that's always a jarring thing because most of us go through that we're switching or updating our system. It's not an insubstantial amount of money, right? It it costs a few bucks to do that. And then we're faced with, oh, man, I got to get a new interface as well. So Mm -hmm. that would be one reason to upgrade, obviously. Also, again, a little bit of older gear, right? Let's call it legacy gear, shall we? Sure. Where there's no more support for it on the manufacturer's point. There might be issues with drivers unless they're class compliant, right? Right. That could be a bummer as well. Sure. Now, it doesn't mean that all interfaces or older interfaces are bad and suffer from these issues. A brand that I hear a lot anyway, and I know you have worked with, is RME. Yes. Well, people rave about them and they're reportedly built like tanks, right? They're just, they go forever type of thing. Supposedly, they're real quick with their driver updates and things like that to newer OSs and things, but I don't have first-hand experience with it. So They're extremely well-built. They right. have USB connectivity for some of them. 
for the smaller models that you might use for more mobile applications, which makes them highly efficient for what you want to do. And they do stay up on their drivers and they're built extremely well. You can kick it around a little bit. It's not going to completely die on you unless you probably run over it with an actual tank. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of thing. They make a great interface. I'm not going to complain about them at all. And they are a really nice company to deal with in terms of my own personal experience of dealing with them. Yeah. I have nothing bad to say about Army at all. Right. And one thing also with uh, just sort of like built like tanks, like if I'm not wrong, I think one of their most popular smaller interfaces, mm-hmm. I think is the baby face. Yes. That they have, right? They're all metal as far as I remember. There might be some plastic parts on it, but the construction is really well. So yeah. some And the software that are, comes with it is absolutely astounding. It's great for rerouting stuff internally in the computer. It's got a great console, so to speak, inside its own setup hmm. that connects to your DAW. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on quality, sound quality of interfaces? Is that ever something that you take into consideration for for a reason to upgrade? Because that's kind of what my friend was asking about. Personally or as advice to give to somebody else? How about both? Let's start with personally. Personally, I would always upgrade based on sound quality. Mm Mm-hmm. If it's in the budget, do it. That's how I look at it. And I'm on the precipice of actually updating mine. Okay. That's my own personal thing. In terms of advice, I ask the person who is questioning whether they should upgrade what their end goal is. Are they doing this for personal reasons that are just like I'm recording at home? I want to satisfy my own whims of how I record myself. Well, that's going to be different advice than somebody that's like, dude, I'm building a new studio. I plan on working with clientele and I want to sound like a million bucks kind of thing. Sure. That's entirely different advice. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I've I've done that also with uh, podcaster friends, other podcasts who have podcasts that don't sound so great. So then I gently nudge them by saying, hey, maybe you should consider doing this. Yeah. One thing that's important to take into question there, though, is the idea of I'm going to spend a little bit more a $500 interface to Come on, go cheaper. You're going from like a $200 interface. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? But if you're doing that, you're probably not getting the returns and quality that you think you might do. Sure. Right? This is true. But it is a little bit different if you're going from – Let's say an entry level interface, which is awesome. If you're starting out, why would you buy the Lynx interface when you're just starting or out? Or an Apollo system, for that matter. Right, but if you're starting with Presonus thing, and they're great interfaces for what they do. They're actually their build quality is pretty good as well. I'm going others. to put my hand up on that because I actually used a Presonus for live audio in performing. That's right. That's right. You had that in your library for a while. I right? did. Yeah. Those are great, but let's say that you, ah, well, I, I want to see what else is out there and I want to upgrade. And maybe you go one or two steps up and you get into like an Apollo or something, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to mention probably that there are differences there as well. But there are. That, that would be, you know, you might notice a difference there or if you go on like an Apogee thing or mm-hmm. up to that mid-tier sort of thing. 
of interfaces. You, you might notice it there. But if you go from an Apollo, like my friend was considering, mm -hmm. you need to spend an exorbitant amount of money to get to a next level. And the sound quality is probably not going to be what the price tag justifies. It has more to do with other things, I think. Yes, it does. And I think it's also a law of diminishing returns based on what your end goal is. Sure. And I don't know if your friend is trying to work with clients and become like a, I don't know, Grammy winning. Th this was very much a home studio kind of yeah. environment. And at that point, yeah. you really don't need to be dropping 10 grand on an interface. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of upgrades, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. What is a more concrete reason other than your end goal? What would you name first? This is, from my opinion, the biggest reason to upgrade. And that is if you need more inputs or outputs. That's a pretty solid one right there. Right. Let's say, for example, that you've started and you've worked with two in, two out, or two in, four out, whatever, like a smaller thing, which works awesome if you're generally just recording one instrument at a time. Yep. Or That's great. But now you've got a bigger room and you want to start tracking drums, right? Or a whole band but, for that matter. <laughs> anything that requires more than two, right? right. That's the obvious reason, mm -hmm. I think. So do you need more ins and out? Maybe you're even, you're going to start mixing in like surround or Atmos or something. Yes. Right? You need more outputs than you have available. That's the biggest thing. And I think at that point, it's also probably the best time you're going to spend a little bit more because you're going to, obviously, it's going to cost you more for a larger interface with more functionality. So, Agreed. Now, some of the budget interfaces, if you're not as worried about the audio quality, so to speak, as there are some differences as you go higher up the pricing ladder, have ADAT or TOS link, as it's sometimes called, built into the interface, which means you can just buy an expansion chassis and the software yeah. and the interface that's on a more budget level can deal with the extra inputs. Yeah, that's a good one too. I mean, you're basically just expanding the ins and outs via ADAT. Yes. Yeah, so the, the expansion there, I think, is a good option if you indeed have ADAT connectivity on your interface. Because not all smaller interfaces will have that. Some do, mm -hmm. but not all. That's a great way to do that as well, if you're happy with your current interface. Yep. Another thing that we hear a lot about these days and for the last few years is, of course, like Dante. Yes. Right, that protocol. That is high-end audio moving across a network, though, generally speaking. Yeah, goes to the <laughs> Ethernet, which, as most buildings are wired for, so you have that protocol. And that looks really, really cool. We checked that out a little bit at NAM. Mm -hmm. Well, and, RME uh, has that pretty much built into everything they do. Well, there you go. Both Dante then and ADAT, or any kind of like expansion chassis kind of protocol is good for that as well. Another thing is also, we're mentioning Dante and things here, like it's, if you're wanting sort of added functionality. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you have an eight in, eight out interface, like much like the Motu that you had, right? Yes. But you still need more. You want to be able to do Neil Peart's fucking drum kit, right? <laughs> Individually and, making every drum too. <laughs> right. And as well as like doing bounce, or you just require larger sessions. Mm -hmm. 
adding those expansions are good to expand on that as well, even if you have eight, but going on to, you know, 24, whatever you might require. You are an avid, I'm going to call you an avid UA user. Yes. So there's the onboard DSP. There is. As well. Now, when you upgraded from the Moto to the Apollo, now we're going back a few years, obviously, so Seven. processors and machines is, were not as powerful at the time. Would you consider upgrading just for like sort of onboard DSP? Would that be sort of like a selling point for you? Yes. Yeah. Right. I know it was at the time. It was definitely right? at the time. Now it's kind of goes hand in hand, so it doesn't matter quite so much. However, their entire product line is not available in Spark. And there's sure. still several, if not more than several, of their plugins that I use that have, require the DSP that is on mm. board of the Apollos that I have. And right. the satellite as well. I have just straight up processing as well. Right. From my perspective, UA was... I mean, if you don't count like DigiDesign and, and just the processing that they needed on their chips initially, UA was sort of like the first to have that sort of ecosystem. In order for them to run their powerful plugins, they have their onboard chips, right? So Highly I think possible, they're yes. doing it. I think they're doing it really, really well. Yeah. But I think it's also a testament to times like where they're they're going native as well. Mm-hmm. So that and it's you know, seamless. I'll say that. Yeah, right. Buying it just for onboard processing is probably less of an issue today, but still, I've told you and I've probably told others as well, if you're just getting a new interface and you're not planning on using DSP, mm-hmm. the Apollos are still a great option, even if you just think of it as an interface. Like yes, they're great are. interfaces, mm-hmm. right? But if you're looking for DSP, maybe that's a selling point. I know Apogee are doing it now. Mm-hmm. No offense to that, but I'm not into it. I, I, <laughs> I, you know, but that's just me. I'm sure other people are looking for that kind of functionality, but that's also something to consider if you're going to upgrade, I guess. You briefly asked me about it a moment ago, and I didn't really say much about it. There is a slight audio quality difference between the different releases or eras of the Apollo. The original one was the Silverface and they still sound great. Then mm-hmm. came the 8P series or Blackface thing and they sounded ever so slightly better. And there was a company that was doing modifications for that that would actually modify that interface to make it sound even better. Mm. Blackfoot, I think it was called. They might still be doing it. Now with the UA set up your higher end Apollos are the X eight P's or the X eights or the X series. And they sound ever so slightly better than the non X series blackface interface. Generally speaking, where most people tend to hear this difference is in the low end. Mm -hmm. I recently read an article as well as somebody was reviewing the difference between like a $150 interface and a $10,000 interface they were shocked that the difference wasn't just so astronomical that it was obvious, but they also stated that the difference that they heard was mostly in the low end. Mm. And maybe that's where the bigger problem is now with D to A and A to D converters is the low end. Because high end is no longer the issue like it was with ADATs where everything above 15K was gone. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just bye-bye. And now most of those have that. It's various mathematical and clocking type things that occur on this stuff. The huge difference isn't as drastic as most people would expect, but it's those little bits and bounds that happen as you climb up the ladder of cost where you're going to get improvements down the line. Yeah. And then it's, of course, if you're running a studio, you have to make that decision of that diminishing return. Is that worth it to my clients or my the quality that I can put out of my studio? And is anybody even going to hear it? You know, well, so, of course it'll be hearable. Whether anybody notices it is an entirely different thing. That comes down well, but to doing blind point. listening tests. And hey, right. can you tell a difference in this? And I still have to contact a particular company about that because we had that discussion with Mike Green at NAM about the difference from one dot to another. <laughs> That everybody heard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was crazy. But we're not talking that dog. We're, we're talking interfaces here. And that's another one of those elements. It's like that one to two, maybe 3% difference that's going to happen. How many people are really going to notice or care? And yeah. That's what it all comes And I think th those differences as well are, you can hear them if you're able to hear them. You will hear them only really if you hear like an A-B comparison. Yes. Right? If you're right there. If you hear one recorded or played back through a certain interface and then the next day hear it from another interface, chances are you're not going to hear that. Or I'm notice guessing. it as much, sure. Right. And then is it worth the extra 10 grand? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of extra worthiness, what have we got going on for Friday Finds? Chris, kick it off. Yeah, I discovered a free plugin. Ooh. This week, and it's from a company called Soundly. Now, Soundly do sample libraries in audio and Foley for things like that, from predominantly for the movie industry. Mm -hmm. I understand it. And I got to thinking about this because I saw they had one. And the plugin I'm going to mention is something called Place It. Mm -hmm. This reminded me quite a bit of AudioEase, the, the makers of speakerphone. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. It reminded me a bit of that. Now, obviously, this is scaled down a fair bit, but what you can do is you can place the source inside a few different sort of environments and speakers and things, and then have a different environment on top of that, sort of like an IR reverb kind of a thing. But it's a cool thing if you're doing like sound design or if you just want some kind of cool effects. So I thought it was pretty cool. It's called Place It, and the company is called Soundly. Mm-hmm. What do you got? I also have what is a two-tier plugin. There's a free version. There's a paid version. This okay. particular plugin is designed for symbol programming. Mm. It is called okay. Excite Symbol. It is by a company that is not really a company, but the anacronym of it is CHAIR, and it stands for the Center for Haptic Audio Interaction Research. That would have been my guess. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, the idea of this plugin is that it uses physical modeling to model symbols. And you would think, oh, yeah, whatever. That's not going to sound real. However, it's ridiculous how real this actually sounds. And it has the ability to change how hard you're attacking the symbol 
what type of things you're attacking it with, where you're hitting it, how long the delay you want it to be, how you tune it, how you damp it, whether you're using a stick, a mallet, or you're choking it, tagging it on the bell. It's nuts. It's so pretty intense. So this is not sample-based? No, this is this all, is all sort of like physical modeling. Yes. Wow. And it is pretty darn crazy. I thought to myself, this just can't be any good. And then I listened to it. I downloaded it. I'm like, holy cow. I want to wow. replace program symbols with this stuff <laughs> because it just sounds so realistic. It's incredible. So it is called nice. the Excite Symbol Plugin. It is by Chair, the Center for Haptic Audio Interaction Research. Cool. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You will need to be on our email list to be eligible for any future giveaways. And we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at Inside the Recording Studio with the word upgrades, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. And you can always throw us a suggestion to talk about in a future episode, kind of like today's episode with Derek. Contact us at the contact page Throw us that suggestion. We'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. Jody.